November 2018. American evangelical Christian John Chow ignores strict laws and approaches the Andaman Island of North Sentinel Island to spread the word of God to its remote tribes. As expected, John Chow did not receive the reception he hoped for. Sources for this episode include Outside Online, The Guardian and National Geographic. Hi guys, welcome back to episode 51 of Unknown Passage, a podcast that tells the stories of those who have gone missing or been murdered abroad, maybe justifiably. So before I get into this week's episode, which will be a two-parter, I'll explain that in a minute. I just want to welcome new patron Corinne. Thank you so much. I've sent you a message through Patreon, so check that. Now, this is going to be (laughs) the least sympathetic episode I have ever done. Um, As I've said a million times before, I hate podcasts that market themselves as true crime comedy podcasts. We should never laugh about people because most of the people that I've covered are completely innocent travellers. But in this case, for this episode, I feel very differently. Um, I do not care for evangelicals um, and I definitely don't care for people who harass um, and possibly endanger remote tribes that are actually protected by their government. And I'm sure that once I get into the story of John Chow and um, Jim Elliott, you will understand what I mean. So if you are offended by anti-religious talk, um, please turn this off because this is a whole different level of extremism. Um, So I will break this episode up into two parts. The first part will be the story of John Chow um, and the second one um, will be another evangelical, um, Jim Elliott, as well as a few other stories that I've come across because I did not realise that there was more than one of these idiots out there. Um, But turns out there's a ton of them. So you might know the story of John Chow. I heard about it when it happened through last podcast on the left. They had about as little empathy as I do about it. And I really thought that by reading a little bit more about it and going into depth, um, I would have a little bit more empathy. But turns out I actually have less empathy than I did before. Um, I care a huge amount more than I thought I would for these this remote tribe that John Chow was trying to invade. That's the only way to put it. He's essentially a terrorist to them. Um, so that's why I thought, what's better than one dead evangelical who's harassing tribes um, too? So that's why I'm doing two different stories um, for this episode. And for this episode, I want to focus more on the actual tribes than their foreign kind of irritations. Um terrorizing them. So I hope that you learn a little bit about these tribes because there are a number of them across the world and they deserve to be left in peace. They are protected by their governments. They understand that. Um, What these people were doing was essentially breaking the law. Um, And people who continue to do this, whether the tribes are in the Amazon or, um, you know, North Sentinel Island, like in John Chow's case, um, you know, they deserve to be left alone um, and out of danger. You know, um, as I get into in this episode, these tribes have never come into contact with any of the pathogens or the illnesses that these people are trying to introduce um, without even seemingly caring. And, you know, a tiny little thing could kill them off. 
So as I read about them, I really kind of started to envy their way of life. Um, They have a sense of community. Um, They don't know what's out there in the world and we should, you know, leave them to live the way they want to live. So if you don't agree with any of that, um, maybe just skip this episode, you know, part 50, um, episode 51, part one and two. But let's get into the story of Mr. John Chow. So John Chow, he was born on December 18th, 1991. So he was pretty young when he died um, in 2018. He was born to Patrick Chow and Linda Adams Chow in actually in Alabama um, in the South. But he was raised from the time he was young in the city of Vancouver in Washington. So not Vancouver, Canada. He was their third child and the youngest. Um, His father, Patrick Chow, was actually born in China and he left China um, during their cultural revolution when he was quite young. Now, his father was actually a psychiatrist, which you would think would go against uh, evangelicals, um, but it really should have come in handy, I was thinking, um, to help his younger son, I think, and probably his mindset, but it actually didn't. His mother, according to most sources, she worked for this Christian fellowship um, as a kind of organiser, and she was also an attorney, according to The Guardian, but I couldn't find much more on that. Now, John's family, as you would expect, were devout Christians and members of this Pentecostal sect that believe that they speak in tongues. I'll leave it at that. John, throughout his life and his childhood and his teens, he was an overachiever at everything he did. Um, He really has a face that you want to kind of stomp on repeatedly. Um, I hate to say it, but take one look at his picture and you know who we're dealing with. Um, John loved outdoor activities from the time he was young, especially where he lived um, up in Washington. It was a really natural landscape where he had it all at his fingertips. He loved hiking, traveling, camping, um, and he really looked up to explorers and people who wrote about exploration like Robinson Crusoe, um, and he really looked up to (laughs) Christian missionaries as well. Now, as John kind of got older, um, he attended Oral Roberts University in Oklahoma, which I looked it up. It's an evangelical university. So as you would expect, John was always around yes people. He was never around people who would challenge his beliefs. Um, he was always around people who would kind of back them up, which is not a way to kind of thrive and to learn from other people. He participated in a lot of Christian missionary work. Um, I was kind of thinking when I was researching this, it's a little bit like David Snedden, except David Snedden was who I covered on a previous episode. He went missing while hiking in China. You don't hear about David Snedden being a, you know, this kind of preachy person who, you know, there was a lot of sympathy when David Snedden went missing because he did missionary work, but he wasn't ramming it down people's throats. John Chow um, is the complete opposite. So John Chow went on these missionary trips to Mexico. Um, He did a missionary trip to Iraq and to South Africa a couple of places, Mexico and South Africa, we've covered um, extensively and on previous episodes and um, you only need to listen or know a little bit about them to know that they need a little bit more than God to get on their feet. Are you seeing where, I'm, where I stand on this stuff yet? So 
John wrote this blog and he was like an adventure blogger, which is like just ugh. Um, and he was constantly preaching on his blog and in his diaries um, about how his way of thinking was the only one and the right one and seemingly everyone was wrong. And I'm not going to read much of his stuff because it's just a waste of time to me, but feel free to go and look it up. Um, When he went to Mexico for missionary work, he returned home and delivered a homily at his church. He said, quote, we can't be lukewarm. We need to know how to defend our faith. When we go out in the world, there'll be people that'll just come and oppose us and they'll have questions and they'll have arguments. We can't just like go out there unprepared. We need to know what we believe and why we believe it, unquote, which is fair enough. But he really has no, um, as far as I'm concerned, missionaries don't have any right to be going to other countries and preaching. They don't have a right to be preaching to anyone who doesn't want to hear it. So John, when we get into the Andaman Islands and North Sentinel Island in particular in a little bit, um, we'll talk kind of about their remote tribes and where John, you know, lived his final journey, I suppose. But John's first trip to the Andaman Islands, um, he had apparently done a couple of trips, one in 2015 and one in 2016 um, as part of these missionary trips that he was doing. Can someone tell me, honestly, like go on Instagram or email me, where do these missionaries get the money to do this stuff? Like, I'm just wondering because... Uh, yeah, I just, there's always money in relation to these things. I'm just wondering why they don't give it to people who need it. But anyway, so during these trips, he did not visit North Sentinel Island, um, but he was soon to hear about it. So the Guardian, which writes a very unsympathetic um, uh, article, which was really helpful in researching this case called The Life and Death of John Chow. Um, They described John as, quote, a 26-year-old American adventure blogger, beef jerky marketer, and evangelical missionary, unquote. So, you know, life goals. Now, according to The Guardian, even John's family wasn't really into his missionary preaching and they actually kind of denounced it after his death. They didn't really go into bat for the things that he believed in. After his death, his father Patrick told The Guardian, quote, if you have anything positive to say about religion, I wish not to see or hear it, unquote. Um, He also told them that John's kind of evangelical ways were a bone of contention in the family, which is a lot because John's John's father actually visited, um, sorry, attended the same university, Oral Roberts. So you would think that he would be backing up his son. Now, in 2017, just a few short years ago, John decided to take his love of preaching to people who don't want to hear it um, to a whole other level. He joined this group called All Nations, which is run by this chick called Dr. Mary Ho, who she really is a ho. Um, He joined this quote, boot camp missionary training, unquote, that was run by All Nations, which was essentially... It's a group that is set up to go and preach to people in the most remote areas of the world. Um, Now, during this time with all nations, John decided that his next target was the people of North Sentinel Island. They're called the Sentinelese people. And he got this idea from this extreme evangelical database, which is online called the Joshua Project, which basically 
kind of points out areas in the world where people are without God um, and kind of encourages people to go and basically invade their lives. Um, Now, the Joshua Project website describes that, it basically describes the Sentinelese people on North Sentinel Island um, as extremely isolated and it says that people should pray for the Indian government who looks after the Sentinelese island um, to, quote, allow Christians to earn the trust of the Sentinelese people and live among them, unquote. So John's quote in his writings um, when he was gearing up to go to North Sentinel Island on his last journey, his quote was, which is one of my favourite quotes of all time, and Mark, who I've had on a previous episode and me have used this term maybe 10 times this week since I told him it, um, John Chow referred to the people of North Sentinel Island just because they're remote um, and they, you know, have no contact with the outside world and they live as a tribe. He referred to them as, quote, Satan's last stronghold on earth, unquote, which Mark and I thought was really funny because he said, I thought, you know, our block of apartments was Satan's last stronghold on earth. Um, But I think there's a few more strongholds on earth that Satan's, you know, controlling. But I really enjoy that quote because it really just shows how he doesn't know anything about this place. Um, But because that they don't know about the outside world and they obviously haven't been introduced to God or had it rammed down their throat, um, it must be controlled by Satan. So I think that that quote kind of really sums up John Chow's ethos. So now I'm going to talk a little bit about North Sentinel Island, what we know of it anyway. So North Sentinel Island is a really fascinating place. It's a mysterious place. Most people agree it should stay a mystery. I think as humans, we want to know as much as we can about everywhere. But I think something should remain, you know, mysterious. We only know what 5% of what's in the ocean and how big the ocean is. Why can't we just leave North Sentinel Island? But Anyway, so it's in the Andaman Island chain, which is an archipelago, and it sits in the Bay of Bengal, and it also includes South Sentinel Island. Now, if you're wondering about what South Sentinel Island is, there's nobody who lives on that. It's like one kilometre by one kilometre. It's tiny. Um, So there's really nothing there. So North Sentinel Island... I'm just going to explain kind of, I'm looking at a map. So you've got India kind of northwest, you've got Myanmar northwest, the Bay of Bengal sits to the southeast um, of India, um, east of Sri Lanka, and you've got the Andaman Sea over kind of near Myanmar and Thailand, and it's right there, um, almost kind of exactly straight west from Thailand, Um, although it is like 500 kilometres, I think, from the shore. Um, so it is home to, as I said, the Sentinelese people, which are one of the last truly Indigenous groups in the world um, who have no contact with the outside world. And just in case you're wondering, North Sentinel Island is just under 60 kilometres squared, um, which is at about 23 square miles. Um, so not very big. Now, North Sentinel Island is, it falls under the government of India, but for all intents and purposes, it is 
it is independent. It is its own. Um, they are protected by the Indian government um, under an act that was introduced in 1956 called the Andaman and Nicobar Islands Protection of Aboriginal Tribes Act of 1956. And to protect this area from people who are not allowed to go there and try to get on the island, the Indian Navy regularly patrols the area. Now, this act that I just told you about, it prohibits travel to the island um, and you cannot get any closer than five nautical miles, which which is just under 10 kilometres um, from the island. If you get any further than that, you're in breach of the act and can be arrested. Um, this pr- protects the people, the tribe's people, the Sentinelese people on the island from contracting diseases to which they have no immunity. They've never been introduced to anything, the common cold, anything. Um, You have no idea what you're taking there and no amount of quarantine or anything um, can protect them from stuff that you could be carrying within your body anyway. Now, the island is entirely surrounded by coral reefs and it has a white sand beach shoreline that wraps around the entire island, but the actual, the rest of the island other than the shoreline is completely covered in dense forest. Now, in 2004, after the tsunami, um, the famous tsunami that happened in the Indian Ocean, the North Sentinel Island actually was lifted up by one or two metres because it it pretty much falls right in the line. Um, they really don't know how much it affects them, but they seem to have been able to deal with it. Um, many of the coral reefs that surround the island were exposed and it kind of created a lot of kind of dry areas um, going all around the island. And this is what they can see from, you know, really helicopters or planes. There's actually an... Um, kind of a inlet, kind of separate little tiny island, um, which actually as a result of the earthquake of the 2004 tsunami actually united this little islet with the main island of North Sentinel Island. Now, the people of North Sentinel Island are a mystery, um, how they've kind of adapted, how they've survived, how many there are, how they live. The Guardian said, quote, the Sentinelese, hunter-gatherers who inhabit North Sentinel Island in the Andaman Island chain, are considered one of the Earth's last uncontacted peoples. Their entire tribe is believed to number several dozen people, unquote. Now, go back to John Chow, where he first heard about them, which was on that Joshua Project evangelical database website, which seems to kind of encourage people to go and go to these people. Compare that to how they refer to North um, Sentinel Island. They refer to it as, quote, unreached people groups, unquote, which essentially just means they're yet to be reached by God and they don't know about it yet. Now, we really don't know how many people live on North Sentinel Island. The general consensus is it's around 15 to 50, but some people say it could be up to 400. Um, India actually considers them on a census each year. Um, the 2011 census said there was around 15 residents in 10 households. Um, but they did say that that was a wild guess, unquote. Now, almost every attempt at contact with the Sentinelese people has been met with violence from them. I think personally, from everything I've seen, they've been incredibly patient with people coming. Um, But if you live on an island and you don't know about the outside world, they don't know that any other country exists. They don't know who these people are. They don't know what's out there. Everybody is a threat to them. Um, They have lived like this since the dawn of time. So of course, they're going to meet people with violence. 
they don't even know what language they speak because they're so kind of isolated. In 1867, British explorer John Ritchie and his passengers and crew, which numbered 106, they actually wrecked on the island, one of many shipwrecks that have wrecked in this area. Now, they didn't know that the Sentinelese people lived there, um, so they made it to the shore in a lifeboat and then they were attacked by the Sentinelese people and they basically had to stand on the sand and ward them off Um for like a week. It's crazy. They were eventually rescued by the Royal Navy. In 1880, an expedition which was led by a man called Maurice Vidal Portman, um, they actually got there and got on the island and there were no people. I don't know if it was raining or what, but nobody came out with their spears or anything like that. Now, they got pretty far into the island and they discovered quite a number of abandoned villages and pathways. Now, I'm presumed that the people got the heads up that they were coming and ran and hid. Um, now, this piece of shit actually took six Sentinelese people. It was four children and two elderly people. And he took them to Port Blair, which is about 50 kilometres away in a boat. This is where John Chow would do his training to also invade this island. Now, the officer who was in charge of the kidnapping of these Sentinelese people and taking them away um, from their home, their group and their tribe wrote at the time, quote, they sickened rapidly, rapidly and the old man and his wife died. So the four children were sent back home with quantities of presents, unquote. So they took them away. They pretty much died immediately because they've never been in contact with anything or people outside. Um, and so they said, oh, sorry, and they sent the four children back with presents. Um, sorry that we killed two elderly people from your tribe. Here you go. Now, this piece of shit also went on to continue to visit the island again. Um, he never made any kind of friendly contact. In 1883, he went, 1885 and 1887. Now, I told you that that act came in in 1956, which protected them, um, but people were still able to kind of go and try to make contact with them. So from 1967, um, every few years, the Indian government would try to make friendly contact with the people on the island. At the same time, many ships ran aground in this area who weren't trying to um, reach the island. They were just travelling in the Andaman Islands area and the Bay of Bengal and they would run aground on this coral reef. Um, in 1981, a ship ran aground on North Sentinel Island and the crew were basically stuck on the ship and they could see out and they could see the Sentinelese people building boats on the beach and carrying spears and bows and arrows. Um, now, by sheer luck, a storm actually stopped the Sentinelese people from getting to them um, on this boat and they were rescued. But it does show that they're they're pretty good, you know, pretty handy at what they do and they can build boats and, you know, build weaponry and kind of attack anybody who tries to get there. Um, ships that have run aground there have actually, when they've been deserted and people have been rescued, it has been found that the Sentinelese people have come on board and basically like um, hunted and taken away parts of the ship to build things. They're really um, quite clever. Now, the first peaceful contact with the Sentinelese people was made by a man named Triliknath Pandit and he was a director of a group in India called the Anthropological Survey of India. And his colleagues were able to land on North Sentinel Island and make contact in 1991 um, with the people. And 
as much as I don't agree with anyone going there, the way that they did it and this group did it is probably the best way possible. Um, now, his expeditions, this Trilaknath Pandit, they had started um, almost 30 years before. He had tried to get closer and closer and closer to study them and understand them. And it took that entire time for them to even let him get close to the island. They would hide in the jungle. They would shoot bows and arrows at him um, and his crew. And so they would regularly come and kind of offer gifts to get closer and closer to the people. Now, there was, I looked up kind of a little bit more about this guy and I found this really good article from National Geographic and it was about the only woman on the team that actually made contact. Um, her name is Madhumala Chattopadhyay um, and this group that actually made contact in 1991, there's actually photos you can see. This is probably the best photos we have of these people and the most clear. They got the closest to them. Um, there's photos of them, of what she's about to describe in this quote I'm going to read to you. So you can actually see them. You can see the people coming out to collect gifts to the boats. But then after that, they really kind of locked down and wouldn't let anyone visit them again. Um, now, this woman... Mudamala Chattopadhyay, she had to fight to be on the team um, as they weren't taking women because of the risks involved. She had to basically write an essay saying why she should be allowed, that she was well aware that she could be killed um, and that she should be allowed to go. Now, she said to National Geographic just a couple of years ago when they did a follow-up on her, quote, a young man aged about 19 or 20 stood along with a woman on the beach. He suddenly raised his bow. I called out to them to come and collect the coconuts using tribal words I had picked up while working with the other tribes in the region. The woman gave the boy a nudge and his arrow fell to the water. At the woman's urging, he too came into the water and started picking coconuts. Later, some of the tribesmen came and touched the boat. The gesture we felt indicated that they were not scared of us now, unquote. So that was her first visit um, to the island. Her second trip, which was about a month later, she described it like this, quote, this time our team was bigger because the administration wanted to make the Sentinelese familiar with all the team members. They watched us approaching and came to meet us without their weapons. Not satisfied with just collecting coconuts this time, the Sentinelese climbed into the team's boat to take an entire bag of coconuts. They even tried to take the rifle belonging to the police, mistaking it to be a piece of metal. One of the team members then tried to take an ornament made out of leaves worn by a Sentinelese man. The man got angry and whipped out his knife. He gestured to us to leave immediately and we left, unquote. So you can see why um, so quickly they just ruined the good standing that they had with these people. Um, they were floating coconuts out to them for two trips. They eventually came out to the boats and then one piece of shit team member tries to take an ornament that a man was wearing um, and the man threatens him with a knife and they leave and that was one of the last kind of friendly attempts at contact with these people in 1991. That is until John Chow decided to undo all the hard work anthropological groups had done and try to kind of take over Satan's last stronghold. So that team did make another trip, but it was raining um, and they weren't on the beach. No one came out. Um, but she now has a very different opinion um, and does not believe that people should be going there or attempting to make contact. 
Um, people rarely go now. It really just ceased in the 90s to me making any trips and any trips being taken now by people like John Chow are completely illegal. Um, she says now, quote, the tribes have been living on the islands for centuries without any problems. Their trouble started after they came into contact with outsiders. The tribes of the island do not need outsiders to protect them. What they need is to be left alone, unquote, which is spot on. So I was talking about the tsunami earlier of 2004 and how it affected the the kind of, is it topography um, of the island. Now, after this tsunami, the Indian government was very concerned about North Sentinel Island and whether it was still there, whether people were still alive. Um, and they took a helicopter over the island to observe what had happened as a result of the tsunami. And you can see a photo of this. I will post these on Instagram. Um, several islanders stood essentially on the beach and shot arrows and threw spears at the helicopter. Um, so they're like, fuck off, leave us alone. Um, now, despite the fact that the tsunami really wrecked a lot of the areas they would have been fishing by bringing the coral reefs up. Um, the Sentinelese people seem okay and they seem to have adapted to the change in their environment. In January 2006, um, two fishermen who were fishing illegally in the areas, I told you earlier, you can't get within 10 kilometers of North Sentinel Island. Um, they were fishing in these prohibited waters, um, because they clearly just don't give a shit about laws to protect these people. Um, they were actually killed by the Sentinelese people. Their boat that they were fishing in drifted too close to the island and the Sentinelese people, um, killed them, understandably. Um, there were no prosecutions as a result of that. The men were dead and you can't really bring any murder convictions against a group of people who are protected by the government and did nothing wrong. Now, this act that was brought in in 1956, um, they made an update in 2005 that essentially said they have no intention, quote, to interfere with the lifestyle or habitat of the Sentinelese and are not interested in pursuing any further contact with them or governing their island, unquote. So now that I've told you a bit about how attempts to get there have been thwarted, um, how it takes a long time, if ever, to build up trust with these people. They don't have to trust anyone um, as far as I'm concerned and as far as the law is concerned. Um, how they handle people who get too close to their island. Um, they, It kind of reminds me of the movie The Green Inferno um, a little bit, kind of get, trying to understand these tribes and then, you know, they probably just, you know, cannibalise you. And I don't really care um, if they do that to people. At least they got a feed out of it. So, Speaking of getting a feed out of it, let's get into, back into John Chow and his last adventure to North Sentinel Island. So that brings us to October 2018 and for the next parts, I just want to give a shout out to Outside Online again. I've used them so many times. They do long form articles. They actually get writers who have been to these areas to write the pieces this piece was by a man named Alex Perry. Um, it was called The Last Days of John Allen Chow and it was published in July 2019. And I, if you're interested in this case, go and read it. It has so much information. I couldn't include it all in this episode. It has a lot of interviews with John's father, um, who is very candid about the fact that he essentially thought his son was manic at this point um, and completely obsessed with this and was incredibly worried about him and wanted to stop him from travelling to North Sentinel Island. 
So we're in October 2018. It's actually not that long ago. Um, this is more, this is one of the more recent cases I've covered. John at this stage is done with his boot camp training for all nations, the evangelical group that insists on going to all of these parts of the world um, that haven't heard the word of Jesus Christ yet. Now, I just want to say this missionary training that he had done with all nations, one of the things that they do um, was they set up a mock native village and missionary staff members pretend to be the natives and they wield fake spears and they have to train on how to like talk to them and talk them down. It is so ridiculous. I just can't even, I can't even comprehend it. So October 2018, John travels um, via the east coast of India to the Andaman Islands, which I talked about earlier. He travels to the city of Port Blair, um, which is the capital city of the Andaman and Nicobar Islands. And it's a union territory of India that sits in the Bay of Bengal. This was where for the next month, John was going to set up his base for his journey 50 kilometres away to um, North Sentinel Island. Outside Online describes Port Blair as follows, quote, On the ground, Port Blair initially resembled any provincial Indian town. The slums are squeezed onto the highest, onto its highest, most distant hills. From there, tight alleys tumble down past orphanages and temples, past the A1 Chicken and Mutton Centre, past gold traders and haberdashers, before emerging at the wharfs and open sewers of Jungly Ghat, where the last of the great Andamanese warriors, defeated and ruined by disease, lived out their days. A closer look reveals a town struggling to impose itself. The roads are buckled, the walls are cracked and crumbling under black mould, the jetties have splintered under the assault of the dozens of cyclones and storms that roll in off the Bay of Bengal every year. The sense is of a place that could disappear at any moment, unquote. So I just want to read it to you to kind of, I thought it was a really amazing um, couple of paragraphs that really described this area. And this is really the last area that John Chow was going to eat a meal or, you know, sleep a night before setting off um, to this incredibly remote, protected tribe. Now, John wrote during this time in his diary, and I'm going to read some pretty extensive passages from that because I want to hear, I want you to hear his stupidity from him um, and his self-indulgence, his self-centeredness, his me, me, me. Um, I want you to hear that from his words. Um, I do want to say that he wrote during this time that the islanders were damned to, quote, eternal fire, unquote, if they never heard the gospel. So there you go. Now, while he was at Port Blair, um, in preparation for his trip, John was vaccinated and quarantined. Now, apparently John got up to 13 vaccinations, some sources say, in preparation for this, um, things like measles, mumps, things that we are all kind of vaccinated against at a young age. I'm assuming that he'd had them at a young age and he was getting booster shots. Regardless, that stuff will not protect these people. Those things are for people who live in the real world. These people do not. No vaccination or quarantine. Um, he basically for like weeks quarantined himself so he wouldn't catch anything and thought that any disease that he had in his body would exit his system. It is completely ridiculous. Um, he also undertook some training where he tried to un tried to kind of learn a bit of the dialect of this area um, and medical training. Now, John was there and according to Outside Online, he was 
pretty much living under the radar there because he knew what he was doing was illegal. He knew back home his father was pretty much on to what he was doing. Um, and even when he met other missionaries in this area, he never once mentioned what he was going to do. So he very clearly knew that what he was doing was wrong. And if you really believe that this was for God, don't you think he would be shouting it from the rooftops? Now, he had not seeked permission from the Indian authorities before leaving for North Sentinel Island because he wouldn't have received permission. Therefore, um, he was just going to go about it his own illegal way. And his trip was entirely illegal under the Indian law. And that's pretty much why people really don't care um, about what happened to John. And they've done very little to try to recover his body. They won't be getting it back. Um, now, Foreign citizens have to obtain a permit to visit um, these islands. John did not do that um, at all to visit the Andaman Islands um, and nobody is allowed on North Sentinel Island, which I've said before. So John tracked down these two fishermen in Port Blair and he paid them the equivalent of 333 American dollars to take him as close as they could to the island. Now, this is also illegal for them because you can't get within that exclusion zone, as it's called. Um, these fishermen, obviously, this is quite a lot of money to them. I think that's what they were driven by. These fishermen were later arrested. Um, I don't know what happened to them um, in terms of taking him out there. There hasn't been a whole lot written about that. But a detective that was hired later to investigate what John Chow had done said, quote, he hired the best. That captain is a very expert sailor. He can sail a little wooden dinghy right across the ocean, unquote. So that brings us to November 14th, 2018, and this is the first journal entry um, from John Chow's journal that I'm going to read to you. He is in a quote-unquote safe house in Port Blair, and in just a few days, he will be murdered by one of the most remote tribes um, in the world. I've been in a safe house in Port Blair since returning from Hut Bay, Little Andaman for the past 11 days. I hadn't seen any full sunlight till today and my nice tan I had acquired started to fade as well as my thickly calloused feet. The benefit of that is that I was essentially in quarantine. I met last night with the fishermen who were all believers and who agreed to drop me off. The meeting went well. I trust them. The drop zone was pointed out on the map as being a cove on the southwest of the island and I depart in three or so hours. The plan is to link up with the crew and depart tonight, arriving at the shore around 4am. From there, we make progressive contact with fish as gifts over the next few days, then send me off. Depending on the darkness, I might land briefly and bury and cache a pelican case for later. We might even send the kayak laden with gifts towards shore. And he signs off every diary entry with Sole Dio Gloria, which means glory to God alone, unquote. I do find it interesting he's offering fish. Does he not think that these people know how to catch their own fish? They've only been out there since the dawn of time, evolving to be able to do these things. So after that diary entry, um, John took this trip out with these men. Now, apparently, not only did the money drive them, but also the fact that they believed that God should get to these people as well. So, yeah. Now, they basically took him kind of close to the island. Um, but then he was, he essentially paddled a kayak from the boat um, that the boat was towing to the, towards the island. And this is when he attempted to communicate with the Sentinelese, Sentinelese people for the first time. Um, now, 
he very quickly retreated because the villagers started to string their bows at him. Um, And John Chow realised he was a bit in over his head, but based on his later journal entries, um, that's nothing to do with him. That's because Satan has taken over this island. So he went back out to the boat and then he then paddled back to the island and this time he got to the beach and he was trying to talk to the natives, which if you see John Chow's face, it if I was one of the natives, his face would annoy me, let alone the fact that he's in their zone and he's not supposed to be. Now, one of the villagers then shot an arrow at him and he was holding a Bible, of course, and... <laughs> The arrow hit the Bible, which I think is truly amazing. It's like something out of Indiana Jones. Now, John panicked and swam back to the boat. And I think at this point, they were probably laughing at him. I think they were at this stage. So this brings us to November 15th, 2018. Here's another journal entry from North Sentinel Island, the Southwest Cove. Around 8.30, I tried initiating contact. I went back to the cached kayak and built it up, then round to the boat and got two large fish, one barracuda and one half GT tuna. I put them on the kayak and began waving to the house we had seen. (coughs) As I was about 400 yards out, I heard women looing and chattering. That's what he says, looing. Then I spotted two dugout canoes with outriggers. I rode past one, then saw movement on shore. Two armed sentinelese came rushing out yelling at me. They had two arrows each, unstrung, until they got closer. I hollered, My name is John. I love you and Jesus loves you. Jesus Christ gave me authority to come to you. Here is some fish. (laughs) I regret I began to panic slightly as I saw them stringing arrows in their bows. I picked up the GT tuna and threw it towards them. They kept coming. I slid the barracuda off. It started to sink, but my thoughts were directed towards the fact I was almost in arrow range. I backpedaled. When they got the fish, I turned and paddled like I never have in my life back to the boat. I felt some fear, but mostly was disappointed they didn't accept me right away. (sighs) I can now say I've been nearly shot by the Sentinelese and I've walked and cached gear on their island. Now I'm resting in the boat and will try again later. Leaving gifts on shore and in rocks, Lord protect me and guide me, unquote. (laughs) So... John is screaming out to them in English, and this is one of the most ancient tribes in the world. So this is truly an American, an American tourist who expects everyone to speak English. But anyway, he just was upset because he wasn't accepted straight away. Now, John did admit at this point in his diary that it was scared, but it was, quote, worth it to declare Jesus to these people, unquote. And that brings us to the next journal entry from John Chow, Mr. Chow. November 15th, 2018, North Sentinel. Rendezvoused successfully last night with the friends. Currently on the boat, waiting to make contact. Left around 8 o'clock and arrived around 10.30. But as we went north along the eastern shore, we saw boat lights in the distance and turned around, headed south and evaded them. All along the way, our boat was highlighted by bioluminescent plankton and as fish jumped nearby, we could see them darting mermaids, them like darting mermaids shimmering along. The Milky Way was above and God himself was shielding us from the Coast Guard and Navy patrols. 
At 4.30, we entered the cove on the west shore and as the sun began to light the east, me and two of the guys jumped in the shallows and brought my two pelicans and kayak onto the northern point of the cove. The dead coral is sharp and I already got a slight scratch on my leg. Now we see a sentinel islander house and are waiting for them to come out. We, all, we also saw three large fires on the eastern shore last night. <sighs> Don't you think this would be good as like a David Attenborough documentary where he narrates it. It'd be amazing. And I think Ken Jong should play John Chow because Mr. Chow from The Hangover is the only option. I realise he's probably more than twice John Chow's age, but he needs he needs to play him. Well, do you want to go on to the next entry from John Chow? November 15th, 2018, North Sentinel Island, Southwest Cove. Well, I've been shot by the... <laughs> Well, I've been shot by the Sentinelese. After that initial contact, some of the guys went spearfishing and caught what they called cuddler, a grouper or sea bass with big lips. They caught two and each weighed about 30 pounds. After, go after first going poop in the water, I built the kayak and we put the two fish on top and inside my small pelican. That contained pencils, my contact response kit for arrow wounds, abdominal pads, chest seal, dental forceps for arrow removal picture cards, multivitamins, multi-tools, including one that my brother gave me, gave, my brother gave me as a groomsman's gift that has my name engraved on it. And unfortunately, my passports. I had, to, my, I had my waterproof Bible and some gifts, scissors, tweezers, safety pins, fishing line, hooks, cordage, rubber tubing, and my new Speedo towel. I set off towards the North Shore. As I got closer, I heard whoops and shouts from the hut. I made sure to stay out of arrow range, and as they, about six, yelled at me, I tried to parrot their words back to them. They burst out laughing, probably were saying bad words or insulting me. Then two dropped their bows and took a dugout to meet me. I kept a safe distance and dropped off the fish and gifts. At first, they pulled their dugout past the gifts and were coming at me. Then they turned and grabbed the gifts. I paddled after them and exchanged more yells. Here's where this nice meet and greet went south. This guy's fucking deluded, I swear to God. A child and a young woman came behind the two gift receivers with bows drawn. I kept waving my hands to say no bows, but they didn't get the memo, I guess. By this time, the waves had picked up and the kayak was getting near some shallow coral. The islanders saw that and blocked my exit. Then the little kid with bow and arrow came down the middle. I figured that this was it, so I preached a bit to them, starting in Genesis and disembarked my kayak to let show them that I too have legs. <laughs> I was inches from an an unarmed guy, well-built with a round face, yellowish pigment in circles on his cheeks, about five foot five, and gave him a bunch of the scissors and gifts. Then they took the kayak. Then the little kid shot me with an arrow directly into my Bible, which I was holding in front of my chest. I grabbed the arrow shaft as it broke on my Bible on passage 933, Isaiah 63, 5, 65, 2. <laughs> he has to actually say where it broke on it because it's like a it's like a sign from God for him. The head was metal, thin, but very sharp. They left me alone as I half waded, half swam through the broken coral to the deep where I knew their dugouts couldn't reach, then swam almost a mile back to the boat. Although I now have no kayak nor my small pelican in its contents, I'm grateful that I still have the written word of God. Lord, is this island Satan's last stronghold where none have even had the chance to hear your name? <sighs> Do you understand what I'm saying now about this fucking guy? 
Next journal entry, November 15th, 2018. The plan is now to rest and sleep on the boat and in the morning to drop me off by the cache and then I walk along the beach towards the same hut I've been giving gifts to. It's weird. Actually, no, it's natural. I'm scared. There I said it. Also frustrated and uncertain. Is it worth me going on foot to meet them? Lord, your will will be done. If you want me to get actually shot or even killed with an arrow, then so be it. To you, God, I give all the glory of whatever happens. I don't want to die. Would it be wiser to leave and let someone else continue? No, I don't think so. I'm stuck here anyway without a passport. It almost seems like certain death to stay here, yet there is evidential change in two encounters in a single day. Watching the sunset and it's beautiful, crying a bit, wondering if it'll be the last sunset I see before being in the place where the sun never sets, tearing up a little. God, I don't want to die. Who will take my place if I do? Oh God, I miss my parents, my mum and dad and Brian and Marilyn and Bobby, even though he was just here, and Christian and someone I can talk to and be understood. None of the guys on the boat know much English to ask their opinions and tell stuff like this too. I've never felt this much grief or sorrow before. Why? Why did a little kid have to shoot me? His high-pitched voice still lingers in my head. Now that I think about it, after I got shot by the arrow, I gave it back. Man, I should have snapped it. Father, forgive me and any of the people on this island who try to kill me, and especially forgive them if they succeed. What made them become this defensive and hostile? Why does this beautiful place have so much death? Last night, I had what I'd call a vision, as I've never had one before. My eyes were shut, but I wasn't asleep. I saw a purple hue over an island-like city, as a meteorite or star fell to it, and it was a frightening city with jagged spires, and I felt disturbed. Then a little whitish light filled it, and all the frightening bits melted away. Lord, strengthen me. Whoever comes after me to take my place, whether it's after tomorrow or another time, please give them a double anointing and bless them mightily. That brings us to John Chow's last journal entry before John Chow goes on to North Sentinel Island, never to be seen again. November 16th, 2018. Brian and Marilyn and mum and dad, you guys might think I'm crazy in all this, but I think it's worth it to declare Jesus to these people. Please do not be angry at them or God if I get killed. Rather, please live your lives in obedience to whatever he has called you to, and I'll see you again when you pass through the veil. Don't retrieve my body. This is not a pointless thing. The eternal lives of this tribe is at hand, and I can't wait to see them around the throne of God, worshipping in their own language, as Revelations 9... 7, 9, 10 states, I love you all and I pray none of you love anything in this world more than Jesus Christ. Sole Dio Gloria, John Chow. And one more because John can't shut up. The same day, written from the cove on the southwest part of North Sentinel Island. John Chow's last entry. Woke up after a fairly restful sleep, heading to the island now. I hope this isn't my last note, but if it is, to God be the glory. I'm heading back to the hut I've been to, praying it goes well. Now, they were famous last words for John Chow because John Chow was never seen again once he departed from the island. And I think you can kind of get from those diary entries that what happened to him was entirely his fault. Now, the people on the boat who had taken him out and kind of sat there with this, you know, maniac for a couple of days and finally kind of realised he wasn't coming back to the boat, 
They went back and then they returned a day later looking for him again to look for any sign of John Chow. And they saw, quote, a dead person being buried at the shore, which from the silhouette of the body, clothing and circumstances appeared to be the body of John Allen Chow, unquote. Now, despite efforts by Indian authorities, um, which actually included, thanks to John Chow, a very tense encounter with the Sentinelese people, John Chow's body, um, as he kind of called in his journal entries, um, was not recovered and it still has not been recovered. And honestly, if he's going to be dead, they may as well cannibalise him. That's all I'm saying. Now, all of the fishermen involved were arrested, two other men from Port Blair who had helped kind of initiate the whole illegal journey to Sentinel Island. Um, And the police officer in charge said um, that they knew, quote, fully well about the illegality of the action and the hostile attitude of the Sentinelese tribesmen to the outsiders, unquote. Now, I don't know if you remember this story, but John Chow was not met with any public sympathy. I am yet anywhere to find one thing that is in any way sympathetic to what happened to John Chow. And I think after everything I've gone through, you will find it hard to as well. Um, People in the public, the media, even Christians turned against him. Um, People were disgusted that he could introduce kind of deadly pathogens to these people. Um, They had not been exposed to any diseases from anywhere else. Now, a guy called Stephen Corey, who was the director of the Indigenous Advocacy Group, which is called Survival International, his comment was that whole populations of remote people, quote, are being wiped out by violence from outsiders who steal their land and resources and by diseases like the flu and measles to which they have no resistance, unquote. Now, Outside Online actually went into quite a few funny things that happened after John died. Um, I don't think death's funny, but I don't really feel anything towards John Chow. I'm sorry. Um, People took to Google to write basically on the North Sentinel Islands Google reviews, um, basically making fun of John Chow's death um, and writing kind of fake travel reviews. Now, Outside Online also quoted the comedian Frankie Boyle, who I love, um, and he is a British comedian. And when John Chow died, he did a monologue um, where he made fun of John Chow um, and how he died and said that they were probably using his ribcage, quote, as a monkey's xylophone, unquote. And he wrapped up his monologue by saying that John Chow would achieve immortality, quote, as the patron saint of daft cunts, unquote, which is spot on. Now, all nations um, got a lot of criticism about this, obviously, because they had done their stupid training where they tried to kind of train him. The training didn't really work, did it? Um, They described John Chow as a martyr and said, quote, the privilege of gospel has often involved great cost. We pray that John's sacrificial efforts will bear eternal fruit in due season, unquote. Now, John Chow's father um, said that it was entirely their fault that he had gone and done this, which I disagree with because from everything I could find, John Chow was interested um, from as far back as his teens um, in this area and preaching to these remote tribes. Um, A friend of 
John Charles, and I, it's hard to believe he had any, called John Ramsey, um, which is actually John Bernay Ramsey's dad's name, so it's kind of evil. Um, he's another evangelical Christian. He defended John and said, quote, his motivation was love for the Sentinelese people. If you believe in heaven and hell, then what he did was the most loving thing anyone could do, unquote. John Ramsey like would go up in flames if he ever met me, I swear to God. Many Christians who weren't evangelical maniacs distanced themselves from this kind of Christianity. They denounced John Chow for what he had done. And the feedback, as I said, from the public was even less enthusiastic. The media did not pull any punches. They were not sympathetic at all. The Guardian referred to John Chow's actions as, quote, a premeditated act of recklessness, unquote. A bit of feedback from people on Twitter at the time, quote, John Chow is not a martyr, just a dumb American who thought the tribals needed Jesus when the tribals already lived in harmony with God and nature for years without outside interference, unquote, which is actually perfect. John's father, Patrick, told The Guardian that John was, quote, an innocent child who died from a, quote, extreme vision of Christianity um, taken to its logical conclusion, unquote. Now, if you're interested, and I'll probably tag him in this on Instagram, John's Instagram is still up. It's at John A. Chow. Chow is C-H-A-U. Um, the last message was posted from his family after his death. Um, before that, it's pictures from John, you know, um, and his family posted the final one, um, which was basically an in memoriam to John um, after his death. And they pleaded for sympathy to, quote, a beloved son, brother, uncle, and best friend who loved life, God, helping those in need and had nothing but love for the Sentinelese people, unquote. And it may not surprise you to hear that they weren't going to get sympathy from people because they turned their comments off because they knew what people were going to say. So that's John Chow's story. And in this special part tomorrow or the next day, I will release um, the next kind of episode for part two, episode 51. Um, I wanted to tell you the story of another evangelical idiot. So stay tuned for the story of Jim Elliott that will take us to another part of the world. Speak to you then.